You'll want to be turning to that Old Testament, very familiar passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people. Just a few moments, we'll read that together. This is a scripture of passage that has long been used in special celebrations of churches, anniversaries, revivals, other special occasions. It's also been used uh, for national, even patriotic emphasis as a challenge to our country as well. Let me just very briefly say, I think most of you all know that uh, we had been planning a Veterans Day emphasis for this morning. Um, I think we also know that uh, with all that has been going on with Bob and June Granath, uh, they went to be with their daughter Elaine several weeks ago because of health weeks ago, and then uh, things began changing uh, with uh, Elaine's uh, health status uh, and some other things going on within the family up there, health-related. Uh, then they thought they would be coming home a day or two ago and would still have time to be able to uh, put all that needed to be together uh, for that uh, Veterans Day emphasis this morning, and then unfortunately things just changed again. We could have gone ahead with a partial uh, celebration. We could have done the verbal part and not the visual, but I just felt like it would be better for us to wait until we can do it right and do it the way that we want to, to be able to honor our veterans. Certainly, uh, we join our nation uh, this weekend with uh, this very special emphasis. And just know that uh, very soon, uh, we'll put the word out again. We'll be, make sure that uh, it's well publicized and we will be uh, recognizing our veterans just a little bit later on. This second book of Chronicles records the construction of the Jerusalem temple under King Solomon. In chapter 6, the temple has been completed. Solomon knelt down before the people. He spread his hands up toward heaven and then led in a very powerful prayer of dedication. The seventh chapter then tells us that after that prayer, fire came down from heaven, consuming the animal sacrifices that had been laid out. And it tells us that the glory of the Lord filled the temple. In fact, the priests could not enter the temple because the glory of the Lord filled it. We don't know exactly what form that took, but we know that it was real. And when the Israelites saw the fire and saw the manifestation of God's presence, they too knelt down in awe and in reverence, and they worshiped, saying, God is good, his love endures forever. After that animal sacrificed, the priests then took their positions, the Levites gathered up their instruments and played from their hearts. That time of celebration and praise lasted for two weeks, and then the people went home filled with joy. It was later that night, after everyone had gone home, that the Lord appeared to Solomon to tell him that their prayers had been heard and would be answered. And so that's the immediate context for our passage this morning. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Second Chronicles seven, fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Father, we come today to look at a very strong, a very powerful 
passage from your word, a word that convicts us. We pray that you would help it to be for our hearing today, a word that encourages us in our faith walk with you. Father, we pray that you would open our minds to hear just what you have for us today. Send your spirit now to lead us as we look to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And be seated. The first word of that verse introduces that conditional clause, if. What God is saying is, if we do our part, he'll do his part. If we will do what he says, he will then do what he says. If we will follow his plan, we will receive his blessing. And that next phrase addresses exactly who he is speaking to. If my people who are called by my name. The passage certainly was directed to the people of God, but I believe that we today have more in common with this particular passage than most of us may think. We might not be God's chosen nation today, but as Christians named after our Christ, we are a chosen people. Even though the verse may have been originally intended toward and directed to Israel, we can find an application for us today, the New Testament Church of Christ today. I believe that God would tell us, believers in Jesus the Christ are now my people who are called by my name. 1 Peter 2.9 affirms God's people this way, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We belong to God. And I think that God has a message for us today, even from this ancient and yet timely message. There's also another similarity in this passage that makes it not only timely, timely, but applicable to us today. As I shared a moment ago, this came after a time of high worship, a time of celebrating God's goodness, a time of feeling God's presence. I believe without any doubt that we have been feeling God's presence in First Baptist Church of Titusville in recent days. I believe God's hand is at work. I believe God is guiding our pastor search committee. God is touching people's lives. His spirit is at work in this place. And just as in that original setting centuries ago, I believe that God is now interested in how we are going to live after we go home from church. The temple experience was important. But God was concerned with how his people were going to live Following that time of high worship, would they still be his people? God is concerned with how we are going to live when we leave from here as well. Will we be his people? Will we continue to be his people when we get back to our weekly routines? Will we be his people when we are convinced no one's looking? There are four things in this passage that God is going to be looking for and expecting from us if we are going to be his people. Number one in your outlines today, some things that we need to do. And the first one is to humble 
ourselves. There are two aspects of this. Humility before God as well as humility with each other. They're not always easy. It's much like that prayer we've heard before. God, I need patience and I need it right now. It's not always easy to seek humility because we want to be in control. And we need to be reminded that God is in control, not us. We need to be reminded that God has made us and not we ourselves. We need to be reminded that we're not the shepherd. We're the sheep. But the problem is we don't want to be sheep. We want to be in control. And so the book of James, even in the New Testament, gives us instruction for this. James 4 verse 7 tells us to submit to God. Just a few verses later, verse 10, it says it another way. Humble yourselves before the Lord. When it comes to our relationships with others, Jesus gave us that example of humility as well. Jesus said, if you want to be great, make yourself small. If you want to be made high, bring yourself low. If you want to be first, make yourself last. He taught us humility, even through his example in the upper room. It was January 30th, 1994. Super Bowl 28 had just been played in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. The National Football Conference champions, Dallas, had just defeated the American Football Conference champion, Buffalo Bills, 30 to 13. Buffalo had been ahead going into halftime, 13 to six. But Dallas came back in the second half and scored 24 unanswered points to win the game. Dallas running back Emmett Smith was named the Super Bowl most valuable player. He had 30 carries, four pass receptions for 160 yards and two touchdowns. At the end of the game, Buffalo Bills player Thurman Thomas was sitting on the Buffalo bench, feeling dejected, his head, head down in his hands. It had been Buffalo's fourth straight Super Bowl loss. They became the first team to ever appear in and lose four consecutive Super Bowls. And in that particular game, Thurman Thomas had fumbled three times, no doubt leading to their defeat. Thomas looked up from the bench to see Dallas star running back Emmett Smith standing in front of him. Smith had his god goddaughter in his arms, taking her around the field and introducing her to players and coaches. Now remember that Emmett Smith had just been named the most valuable player of the game. Emmett Smith went on in his career to become the NFL's all-time leading rusher with 18,300 yards. He's ranked all-time second with 175 career touchdowns. He became a three-time Super Bowl champion, was elected to three Pro Bowls, and was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And Emmett Smith looked at his granddaughter and said, Honey, I want you to meet the greatest running back in the National Football League. This is Mr. Thurman Thomas. That's humility. It is intentionally placing others above yourself and ahead of self. It is looking out for others rather than your own self-interests. If we are going to be God's people when we leave this place, even today, we will do so by mirroring 
the example of the one who humbled himself for us. The second thing Second Chronicles tells us to do is to pray. In 1857, there was a 46-year-old man named Jeremiah Limfair. He lived in New York City, and Jeremiah loved the Lord. He accepted a calling from his church to serve as an inner-city missionary in New York City in 1857. He started walking up and down the streets of New York City talking to people about Jesus. It was hard. It was discouraging. People were too busy. People didn't want to talk to him. People were rude. People cursed at him. God put it in Jeremiah's heart to pray. And so he printed up tracts and he passed out hundreds of tracts to everyone that he could. He invited anyone who would to come to the third floor of the Old North Dutch Reformed Church on Fulton Street at noon on Wednesday just to pray. Wednesday came, and at noon, there was no one there. And so Jeremiah got down on his knees to pray. And he prayed for 30 minutes, and one person came in. And they joined arms together and prayed. And then another one came in. And they continued praying, and then three more came in. And those six men on their knees in prayer was the beginning the next week there were 20 the following week there were 40 and they decided they weren't just going to meet on Wednesdays at noon they were going to start meeting every day to come together and pray at noon and before long some ministers started coming and they said we need to be doing this in our own churches and within six months there were 5,000 prayer groups meeting every day and the word began to spread across the country. Prayer meetings were being held daily in Philadelphia and Detroit and Washington, D.C. President Franklin Pierce started coming to prayer meeting every day. Two years later, there were prayer meetings being held in 15,000 cities across the country every day at noon. Thousands of people came to know Jesus as Savior. And the amazing thing about this revival is that there was no famous preacher or evangelist associated with it. It all started because one man got down on his knees and prayed. When we pray, we are bringing ourselves into God's holy presence. And when we do that, amazing things will happen. He will pour himself into us. Prayer is the very foundation of our continued relationship with God. And God is saying to us today, if you, my people, will cultivate your relationship with me through prayer, I will do great things. The third thing we need to do is seek God's face. And there are two thoughts presented with this phrase of, of seeking God's face. First, when we seek someone's face, we simply want to please that person. And we want to please them not because we want something from them or we feel any kind of sense of obligation. We want them to feel uplifted. And we will do anything we can to help with that simply because we want to. And when we are seeking 
God's face, we are going to be lifting him up by the way we live our lives. I know that my first few months with you as interim pastor, I called attention several times to a definition of giving God glory. You remember what it was? Making God look good. When we are seeking God's face, we are lifting him up by the way that we live. We are making God look good. And God is saying to us today, if you're my people, then you make me look good when you go out that door a little while from now. If you are going to be my people, then you make me look good when you get back to your weekly schedule starting tomorrow. Let me ask you, in all the places you went this past week, with all of the people who crossed your path, did any one of them hear the name of Jesus come from your lips? The other thought of seeking one's face is that we make an effort to get to know them better. That's what a baby does. When that little infant reaches out to touch your face, babies don't know that touch is one of our five senses. Babies don't know about skin texture. Babies don't know about those 24 cranial nerves coming down from our brain and several of them spreading out across our face. They don't analyze the face to read those unspoken, nonverbal communication cues. They just see that face and they want to experience it more fully. And so what do they do? They reach up with those little hands to touch it. Jeremiah 29, 13 says that when we seek God with our whole heart, we will find him. And it's when we say, Lord, I want to know more about you. I want to touch you. I want to feel your touch on my life. And I want to feel your presence in my life. That is when God will come to us. I need to ask you some questions. Do you know God better do you know more about him are you closer to him than you were sitting in that place last Sunday are you closer to God than you were a month ago as we're right on the verge now of this Advent season starting in just a few weeks are you closer to God this Advent season than you were a year ago let me ask it another way is your relationship with God growing? There are people today who need a touch from God on their lives. They've tried other things. And they have found those other choices will always come up short. Whether it's security or money or possessions or career or pleasures or possessions. All of those things are good. But listen, when we come to a point of realizing there is a longing in our soul for something only God can feel. Only God will feel it. That's in your bulletin. It should be on the screen as well. Listen again. When we come to a point of realizing that there is a longing in our soul for something only God can feel, only God will feel it. Psalm 28, 7 says this, My heart says of you, 
seek his face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. Here's your homework for this week. Usually I give you either a scripture passage to do some research or I'll give you a word or a phrase to to pursue with a concordance. It's very simple this week. Examine your relationship with God. That's it. Assess your relationship with God. What can I do to make it better? What do I need to do or change to get closer to God? Are there some things I need to let go of? Are there some things I need to reprioritize? Do I need more Facebook time rather than Facebook time? Do I need to adjust my schedule in order to have better quality time with God? Let me ask all those questions another way. Is God getting the best of you or is he getting the leftovers? God is saying when you leave here today, If you are going to be my people, then prove it to me by seeking my face. Seek to know more and more about me. And that leads us to one more condition, another if statement that God is giving his people. If you will turn from your wicked ways. We've all seen those God signs out on the highways, those billboards as if God was sending us some messages. There are a lot of good ones. One that applies to what I was talking about just a moment ago that I like says this, are you too busy for me? I can do something about that. There's another one that says, there are some things that I am not pleased with. A major crime is committed in our nation every 22 seconds. Someone is murdered every 34 minutes. Drug use and drug-related crimes are escalating astronomically. 300,000 girls attend high school and middle school pregnant every year. 1.2 million teenagers are alcoholics. I don't need to say any more about what our country is going through and what we are facing as a nation. You see and hear about it just as I do every day. I think Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, summed it up very well with some very strong words several years ago. She said this, If God does not bring judgment on America soon, he might have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Psalm 917 says this, The wicked... And the nations that forget God will be turned to hell. Does it get any clearer than that? My fear is that we as a nation that once belonged to God are becoming a nation that is forgetting Him. When we humble ourselves... And when we cultivate our faith relationship with God through prayer, and when we commit to seeking his face, we will no longer want to hold on to those things that we know displease him. In January 1996, Wichita, Kansas, Joe Wright, pastor, was invited to give the invocation at a meeting of the Kansas legislature. Short time after that, in his radio program, Paul Harvey read... Pastor Joe Wright's prayer. 
And Harvey re received more requests for copies of that broadcast than he did any other broadcast in his career. This is part of Pastor Wright's prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that is exactly what we have done. We have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have worshiped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it a lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have killed our unborn and called it a choice. We have neglected to discipline our children and call it self-esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. And we have polluted the airwaves with profanity and called it freedom of expression. It does not matter whose political opinion you embrace. Because at the end of the day, that's all it is, opinion. There is no other way to soften God's command to turn from our wicked ways. God only has one response to sin. And it's not rationalizing it, it's not excusing it, it's not compromising it, it is turning away from it. That's what repentance is. It's turning away from the direction we're going and it's going in a new direction, God's direction. There are people today who need to hear God saying, if you are going to be my people, change your ways. God is saying, humble yourselves the way my son taught you. God is saying to us, show me by how you pray. God is saying, seek my face by making me look good. And God is saying, turn from those sinful directions you're going. And then God promises us what he will do. Number two in your outlines, the first thing is that he will hear us. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Just as that expectant father was watching for that prodigal son to come home and when he saw him off in the distance, he got up and ran to meet him. God is waiting and watching and listening for us to call out to him. And there may be some today who feel that you have turned so far that God won't hear you. There may be some today who feel that you have done something so wrong that God will not respond when you call out to him. That is a lie that Satan wants you to believe. God is only the breath of a prayer away. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. Whatever it is, whatever you have done, God is waiting and listening and yearning for you to reach out to him. The second thing that God says he will do is to forgive. To forgive means to send away or to let go. 
Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I love that verse. As far as the east is from the west. That is an incalculable distance. If you start anywhere you choose on this planet and start going north, if you go due north, eventually you're going to come to the North Pole. And if you take one more step, you're not going north anymore. You're going south. And the same thing in the opposite direction. If you want to go south, choose any spot on the earth. Go south as far as you can go. You'll eventually get to the South Pole. And you take one more step. You're not going south anymore. You're going north. Why? Because that's a finite distance. It is a calculable distance. Not so with east and west. You start from right here. You start from anywhere you want on this planet. And you start traveling east, you'll never stop. You will always be going east. That is how far God will remove our transgressions from us. 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The third thing that God says He will do is that He will heal our land. That has to do with a national blessing for the nation of Israel. That word heal in this case means to repair or to restore. And the good news of the gospel is that this promise applies to nations. It also applies to individuals. There are people today who need to hear God calling them to humility. There are people today who need to revitalize their prayer lives. There are people today who have forgotten how to seek God's face. There are people today who are infected with a spiritual sickness that God can and will heal if you will just ask Him. There are people today whose lives need cleansing and restoring. The very same way, there are churches today that have allowed themselves to become more focused on the pride of men than on the Word of God. There are churches today that need to be following God's direction rather than popular trends. God is saying to all of us, you do your part and I'll do mine. Christian songwriter Otis Skillings gave us these words, on God's holy word, I challenge you to give to the Lord your life anew. My friend, make your choice. He waits for you. This is the moment of truth. Now walk with God and he will be your dearest friend. Wherever you go, in everything you do, may your life reflect his love to everyone. Now walk with God, and He will walk with you. Let's pray about it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to send your Spirit this very moment to draw us to you. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, send your spirit to convict us of sin, to encourage our faith. And from your spirit's urging in our lives, Father, compel us to go from here determined to be your people, to make you look good to those around us. Draw us ever closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. We come to a time of commitment in our service. This is your opportunity to respond in any way God might be speaking to. You can do that right where you stand, even as we sing. You may want to have just a little prayer meeting with God right there. You may want to come here to the front and kneel as a sign of your humbling yourself before God's presence and vow once again to seek his face in any way that God might be speaking to you regarding your relationship with him or with this church, would you respond as he speaks to your heart? Stand.